to say yes sir and then the bible goes on to say eh hey, hey, if you are obedient you are calling the bible alaba shake bredo sokono hey hallelujah ah no let's do this thing give me first peter chapter 3 i feel the anointing to teach this thing amazing is what we are going to learn. Yeah. Don't you Don't you don't you just love hope? I I mean the way you are responding to the word of God you are pulling the thing from me. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, so I'm gonna. It, it, it's amazing. It, it, it will be a bit uncomfortable for you if you're not free-hearted to be here. It will be a little bit uncomfortable. But don't worry. As we go on, you're gonna get used. Sometimes behave as if the people behave in church like they've never been exposed to harsh conditions. This church is noise. That's a deep revelation for us, huh? We are not just noisy, we are noisy itself. <laughs> but isn't it better to be in a preschool than a graveyard? <laughs> Did you catch it? Not everything that seems deep isn't shallow. I say it again. Not everything that seems deep isn't shallow. We are just starting. <laughs> so I would like to welcome everybody that is here. If you are here for the first time, we are excited to have you. We believe the Lord has got something amazing for you too. And uh, my name is Pastor Daniel. Okay, thank you so much for celebrating me. You know sometimes I wonder like people who don't respond when like a prayer session is going on they're just like this. That's how it looks, Kaidi. So I want to see if maybe there's a lemon where they are seated. <laughs> Oh, I'm still just getting started. Why are you sad? You are in the house of God. There are some of you who think that in heaven it will be so deep and sorrowful. I don't know which kind of heaven you envision. And if heaven is in your heart, there's a way you respond when a praise session is going on. Some of you heaven is in your heart, but the revelation of it has not hit your spirit. does not yet hit your spirit. Haven't you read in the Bible that God dances over his children? If God is dancing, <laughs> then who are you, sir? <laughs> yeah, that's what the Bible says. The Bible also says God laughs in his throne. You think God is like this old man with a long beard and a kimono? just waiting for you to make a mistake on judgment day more 
is not some kind of master shifu or something. He's... <laughs> Don't you get it? Which Bible do you read? Serious is not a fruit of the Spirit. No, serious is not a fruit of the Spirit. I can tell your extent of the understanding of the kingdom of God by how you behave in a prayer session. I can tell just like that. You are not born again in those days, so you may not understand some of these songs. Some of the songs we used to, to sing. When someone is happy, you are a child of God, you cannot be overexcited. So we would sing such songs. That's why men learn to be tough. That men should not express their emotions. And I read a guy in the Bible. Jacob, he saw a girl, cried, <laughs> and kissed her. <laughs> so I learned, and I'm not saying go about kissing girls. <laughs> I learned that you can express yourself as a man. There's nothing wrong with it. That's why some men, men are walking dead. Because everyone thinks they are tough, but they are having issues. So they are okay the whole time. Then one day they just change it. They change color like that. And many, especially in the Western world, are even committing suicide. Because you are a man, you cannot express yourself. You have to be strong. Then one day the thing hits you. Did you know that the Bible says righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost? The whole kingdom of God, the whole kingdom of God, the whole kingdom of God, what do you, when you think the kingdom of God, why do you think angels? Yeah, in your head, there's like a ghostly sound. <laughs> the Bible says in the, ampli- in, the, in the message Bible translation that angels throw a party when one sinner gets saved. You think they have this deep service and they sing Jewish songs, hymns. No. The Bible says they throw a party. Praise God. So it's true. A whole king disregarded himself and danced that his wife said, "Hmm, you've disregarded yourself, oh king. How would you disregard yourself in public like that? But I like how David answered. And when you think of it in Bemba, it was tough. Oh no, the pastor is teaching tough language. Read your Bible, Kylie. Where, where is that scripture so that you know that I'm not telling you what's from my head, right? Eh? So that you can go talk to God. Why did you put this scripture? No, you talk to God. Let me show you. What's that scripture? You will find it one day. It's in the Bible. Eh? Mm. So, be light when you're in the kingdom, when you're in a meeting like this. Some of you, when Premier League scores, whatever that team you support, <laughs> you're all over the place, but here you want to behave like, no, it's the house of God. So, in the house of God, you're supposed to be creepy. You think we are all not educated? What will your papers do before God? Sometimes some of the most proud people are the ones who are broke. Now mona. You are loving the girl from Africa. oh you think of I'm just getting started. And I'm trying to avoid looking at my wife because I'll feel like I need to preach my sermon. 
the day you will understand how Jesus disregarded himself for you, you will disregard yourself for his glory. You will. It won't matter to you. The papers you got. Paul said, I count all these things but dumb, right? Yeah. That's what the Bible says. You can show me that scripture. At least I think that one you can find it. I also don't know where it is. Okay, Jeff, you just look down. <laughs> Click, you'll find a few scriptures of that word. Now, today I'm going to show you a very controversial end of the gospel. Now, calm down. Uh, if, if, if what I was saying was beating you, you are in the right church. It's a sign. How you know you are in the right church? Number one, if things are getting you, bah, bah, you are feeling slaps in words. You should know that. Sometimes, eh, God slaps you when he loves you. You are even giving people words. What the Lord is saying. But you, you've never felt a rebuke from the Lord. Ha! Huh? You are deep, eh? So, if you can hear this as a rebuke, you are in the right church. Tell your neighbor you are in the right church. Tell the other one. You are in the right. Yeah, you are in the right church. Mm? Mm. Now, so today, quickly, I'm gonna show you. <laughs> I love you all. So I want you to write down these words. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't love me, me, I love you. They force. Do they force love? Yes. He said we force. When we were receiving visitors at the campus fellowship, I always, we used to say, we love you by force and by choice. <laughs> A more excellent way. Okay, write down those words. Because we are going to look at a sermon I have titled A More Excellent Way. Okay? Like I said, this is a very controversial. It's going to be a little bit contra- controversial. First Corinthians chapter 14. First Corinthians chapter number 12. Instead. We'll begin from there. It was Philippians chapter 3 verse 8. You saw it? What does it say? It says, Furthermore, I count all these things to be lost for the excellent knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but as dung, he didn't say cow dung, he just said dung. That I may gain Christ. So that thing you are thinking, this thing is important. Paul is saying it's as useless as dung. Compared to the excellence of the knowledge of the Christ. That degree you are saying, this degree is the one which makes them fear me in the village. Paul is saying it's equivalent to that for the excellence of the knowledge. So all this excellent knowledge of the faith we are giving you. You are in the presence of God and there is all this, you know, amazing praise and worship going on and you are being deep. For what reason? People are not even looking at you. They are looking at the preacher. Hmm? The, the girl doesn't even know you like her. So I said First Corinthians. Sorry, I'm getting, I'm getting thrown away. I'm getting thrown away. Hmm, she doesn't. 1 Corinthians 12. Now, the, the, the same one title that I'm preaching to you is titled A More Excellent Way. And um, this is something that came as I was looking at a few things. Jesus is Lord. At a few things just this past week. We've been looking at growing up spiritually and part one was titled uh, the, kingdom of, the Kingdom of Christ. But then I'll put that aside so that I can run you through uh, this amazing thing that the Lord was communicating to my spirit. Some of you are still hanging on. I'll go back. Can you come with me? Um, on, this, on this amazing topic we're going to look at. Now, when Paul was writing to the Corinthian church, there were a few things that he was addressing. And some of these things were chiefly order. 
But as he was addressing order, there are a few things that he began discussing. He began discussing with them um, a few other things, okay? Amen. Amen. If you're happy and you know, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know, and you really want to show. If you're happy and you know, stamp your feet. Okay, beautiful. So, when Paul is writing to the Corinthians, he's talking about order. Everybody say order. order. And as he's talking about order, uh, he begins bringing in a few other topics. So, he says, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, he's talking about communion. He starts telling them, it is heard among you. Because it's like Chloe's house uh, reported, um, reported the church to Paul. So, Paul was writing based on the report that he had heard. Where's Chloe? So he, he begins to uh, explain certain things and how they must run. So he begins to tell them, when you come together to have communion, you must make sure that all of you have eaten. You don't come to church so that you can show off what you have and what you don't have and make others who are poor feel like they don't have anything. Because what used to happen in this church is if you are broke, they are going to show you that God has been blessing them, and then they are not going to give you anything. You know those people who come and say, the moment the pastor prayed for me, or the moment I came to this church, children of God, one million entered my account. Then you wait later on, nothing has come to the church, not even a one way. <laughs> so they are going to shove the testimony in your eyes, and afterwards make you look like, for you, it's not happening in your life with God, except for them, yet you are in the same church, and they are even giving you a look like this. So there was a lot of disorder, and people used to rise against each other. Women used to even rise against men. This is the, the, the book in which he told them, let the women, uh, uh, um, uh, the women must cover their heads, the women must do this. He was giving them a lot of instructions uh, about they shouldn't dress like this. There was just a lot of disorder, and people would rise against each other and all that kind of stuff. So in, in 1 Corinthians number, number 11, I'm just giving you a, a prelude. He begins to tell them about order. Everybody say order. And in talking to them about order, he tells them, so when you come, don't come so that you can show off the expensive wine that you have. Because some would even get drunk to drink the wine so that they take communion. And some would come with expensive bread. So it, it just used to be bad. People started talking against each other and all that kind of stuff. So he begins to tell them in chapter number 11 um, uh, that things like, now in giving these distractions, I do not praise you. Uh, since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, and I'm reading from 1 Corinthians number 11, verse 17, but you just have to follow me. It's going to make sense. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be divisions among you and differences, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not, is it, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating... Each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and other, another one is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink from? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. You know, then in verse 23, he starts telling them, this thing is spiritual. So he tells them, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same day that he was crucified, he took and betrayed, he took bread and said, eat this, blah, 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 blah. Then 26, he tells them, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So he tells them, you are coming together so that you may experience the communion of the spirit. You may experience and proclaim the Lord's death and resurrection. Not that you can show off and belittle other people and insult each other. He's telling them that kind of disorder is not consistent with the purpose of communion. Are you listening to me? Then he goes on to tell them, therefore whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. So, the issue of drinking the body and blood of Jesus. Now listen, I'm giving you revelation knowledge. So the issue, it's actually not even revelational, it's just contextual. The issue of drinking the blood and eating the body unworthily is not the way people make it, 
It's about not discerning the body of Christ. It's about how you treat other people. So these people are coming and they are, and they are, and how do you eat unworthily? Like this, go, 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 catch you, catch you. How do people think you are drinking unworthily? You know, I was at a Catholic school and you, in a Catholic institution, we, we have Eucharist, right? Uh, which is the same as communion. So you would see, we were in grade eight by then. So you would see people who, I think because they talked about not taking it worthily and stuff, so you would see people who, you know, those guys were like for insults in class. But when they are taking communion, you know, they have to take it worthily, you know. He takes the, the, the bread, and I was like, that's a saint. You know, and they will take the cup, and he'll get on his knees, you know, and then go back, and, you know, when he's walking back from the altar, even the hand is at the back, you know, and you'll get on his knees, and he's an amazing guy. I left my paper door. It's because people thought, no, as long as I'm eating nicely, I'm not chewing in the body and blood of Jesus, then it's worthy. No, but it's deeper than that. It's talking about how you come together because all of you are part of the body of Christ. So the way you are treating each other, the body of Christ is beyond a meal that we eat together. It's beyond the emblems. Those are just a token. They are a symbol. They are an emblem of an inward change, an inward change. Hallelujah. So this is the stuff he's telling them. So he's tell, he tells them in verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks the, the, uh, this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of Jesus. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Why didn't he talk about not discerning the Lord's blood? It's because we are not the blood of Christ. We are the body of Christ. So he's, he's talking about the body of Christ. You are not Discerning the body of Christ. Discerning, it's a mental thing. It's an inspection thing, how you think about others. He goes on to brothers and sisters, this thing is very serious because he goes on to say, for this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many die. Sometimes the source of sickness is because people don't discern the body of Christ. So the way you treat others, it works against you. Sometimes the way we treat fellow believers is some kind of an autoimmune disease where the body begins to work against itself, where the white blood cells begin to work against the body instead of defending it. And sometimes believers will upset you, but when you are mature in the faith and you understand this stuff, you will have the fear of the Lord. You won't just, it's not just about men of God, it's also about the fellow believer. How do, you, how do you rise up and just speak anyhow about someone? How do you know this is the fellow believer and just say, ah, I will not favor them with a job? Just because we are a boss, no, everybody must be equal. Let me tell you this, the Bible says, for as much as opportunity presents itself, do good unto all men, especially to those of the household of faith. If you know I'm dealing with a believer, show them favor because you are an expression of the favor of the Lord. You are the one that God is going to use to favor that guy. Are you listening to me? Yeah. Somebody shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. So that kind of understanding is important because when you nourish your brother, you are nourishing the entire body. Hallelujah. Okay. So he goes on to tell them, Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if one is hungry, let him eat at, at home. Let him eat at home. Lest you come together for judgment. And the rest I will tell you when I come home. Okay? So he's telling them about a more excellent way. Then he goes on to talk about the gifts of the Spirit in verse 12. In verse 12, he talks about the gifts of the Spirit. And then the reason he's talking about the gifts of the Spirit is because generally in the book of Corinthians, Paul is bringing order to the Corinthian church. Because in as much as they were flowing in all gifts of the Spirit and some had a lot of money, there was a lot of disorder. Even when it came to the expression of the gifts of the Spirit, somebody will be, will, there would be like individual songs. Then somebody will be preaching like this or singing a song. Then somebody will write to say, I have a word from the Lord. And then everybody has to stop, you know. And the guy who's singing him just feels like just as a gift of singing, he can't prophesy. And all that kind of stuff. So Paul begins to lay a foundation of 
uh, the gifts of the Spirit. First, he goes into detail and he begins to explain them. So he explains the kinds of gifts of the Spirit that, uh, the spirit that they are. And he says that all of them are there in order to edify the body. The Bible actually is, is actually encouraging them and telling them in the book of 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, that to each one, a manifestation of the, of the Spirit is given to profit with all. In other words, he's saying every person who has given their life to Christ, in fact, actually has a gift of the Spirit. They may not know it yet, but every person has a gift of the Spirit for the profit of everyone. This is why we need one another. He's telling them the same kind of thing consistently. Because you may have a gift that I need from you. And some, I've walked in all the gifts of the Spirit, but you find that there are some gifts of the Spirit which are more expressive in me than they are in another person. And you find that there are other gifts which are more expressive in another person than they are in me. Why? Because sometimes the function of the ear is not the function of the eye. But it does not mean that the ear does not need the eye, neither does the eye need the ear. They need to depend on one another for the proper functioning of the body. That's why we must be together. And this is why I believe that people are irreplaceable. A person may be replaced. We may have a different one doing the function that the other one was having. But no one will be like the other guy. No one will be like the other guy. So once we lose one person, we've lost a very special expression of the person of God. <coughs> Even if they did something wrong, they got pregnant and they left. If we chase them and never bring them back, we have lost that kind of a person. There are people who, when they left the church, something changed. We may have moved on, but something changed. We need each other. Pray for those who are failing. Pray for those who are struggling. Pray for those who are losing direction. This is why you don't say, when you hear that she has fallen pregnant, you know sometimes when you hear that something bad has happened or a brother was caught in a scandal just keep quiet don't let the unbelievers know sometimes we empower them to speak against the body of Christ we are empowering them we must defend one another there are people when I hear they did something wrong the first thing I do is I address the devil can you leave my sheep alone what David said was when I see a lion Take one of my sheep in, in its mouth. I will go snatch the sheep out of the mouth of the lion and kill it if it comes after me. I will go to the lion and tell him, I'm about to get this sheep. If you come, I will give you this chance. That's a lion you're talking to, eh? <laughs> give me my sheep. If you want, cross this line. <laughs> come on, I'm looking for those believers who are not going to lose. And you give an account. The Lord Jesus Christ shows us. He was giving an account for pray for each other. So he begins uh, uh, teaching them and all these things. And he tells them the, the purpose of the gifts of the spirit. They're for building one another, not for showing up. He said we can prophesy. And people can, you know. And sometimes people are under pressure. You don't have a word from the Lord. You start prophesying. And so all those things. You just stand up and start saying things, you know. Yeah, even our gifts differ. Who determines who is deeper than the other, if not God? The Bible says John was the greatest prophet who ever lived. But where did you see John telling people where they came from, when and where, who they were with, what day? Not even, not even Isaiah was greater than John. Yet John was just telling people, <laughs> So this thing by, this thing of determining how great a man of God is. Because in your flesh, he has told you where you, you weren't and where you are. It's just fleshly. Even when the Bible says he set first among them apostles, then prophets, then teachers, then what, 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 you must be careful. Because you find, some people think, oh, apostle is the greatest. And you have some truth to it. But why is it that you have some apostles who can't start anything, and yet there are people who are just called pastors. They are pastoring big churches. 
who determines greatness, number one, is God. And these offices are also in different degrees and variations according as the spirit desires. You can be a pastor, but very great. You can just be a deacon like Stephen, but the Bible says he worked miracles. You think deacons are just for running up and down, picking papers? That's part of their job. (laughs) But then the Bible says this guy was a deacon, and yet he used to work miracles to the extent that on his death, the Bible says, his face was like the face of an angel. None of the apostles shone like the face of an angel, but a deacon did. They were even called him, come, Steve, we hear you are a good young man. They laid hands on him. He went to a deacon. Everyone was happy. None of their faces shone like an angel. Not even Peter. So, what determines the functionality of a person is the will of the spirit. So sometimes you just get in the flesh in misunderstanding some of these things. Amen. Shouldn't even bother you. No, me, my papa is an apostle. What if he's just a brother like Brother Daniel? <laughs> For a long time, I never even knew my calling. If you look at many of my WEM sermons, I used to call myself Brother Daniel. Ah, but it used to cry. People used to be blessed. Longest period of time. I just began understanding my calling very recently. Mama 2018. But all I knew is that God is leading me. Some people, what is my purpose? So you find you are looking for purpose. <laughs> and you are depressed because you feel like you are purposelessness in searching for your that same your purpose. Yeah, because the Bible, the Bible says, in using what was good, Satan worked against me. The law which was meant for good. The Bible says, Satan taking advantage of the law, in the law, made me weak. Because he aroused all manner of concupiscences in me. Let me explain that. It means this guy, without the law, was alive. But the law came and sin revived and he died. That's what the Bible teaches. So what happens is, this is a Jewish boy who knows nothing about what let's say, fornication is. And then they begin to teach him, number one, the Bible says, do not fornicate. Then he starts thinking, what is fornication? (laughs) Then the moment he knows what it is, everything that is within him begins to desire (laughs) things. You're getting my point. So somebody can say, you must know your purpose. You were just serving God correctly. You are on the right path. Suddenly, because of that that phrase, Satan takes advantage of your ignorance and makes you feel purposeless. Sometimes even the right things, Satan can use them to sway you from the way. He's a seducer. To seduce means to sway. He can even use the Bible to tell you how to throw yourself. That's what the Bible says in Psalm 91. He was talking to Jesus and he was saying, uh, after he tried this, it wasn't working. He tried this, it wasn't working. Then he was like, ah, except I was reading the Bible the other day. <laughs> and there's this cup. A scripture, it was saying at, uh, in Psalm 91. You, you, you say the scripture? Yeah. So it was saying if you throw yourself, then the angels will, will catch you. So why don't you do it? Eh? You are the Christ, Kainge. The Bible says it. Wrong. In, the, it's true. That's what the Bible says. But Jesus Christ says scripture interprets itself by scripture. Do not test the Lord your God and don't put him to test. so anointed man of God you will embarrass us the whole body of Christ will be doing like this Christians what do you have to say are you listening to me so It's important for you to understand that when it comes to purpose, for example, as you keep serving God, purpose is not a one assignment. Purpose is a number of assignments done properly at the end of someone's life. So we measure purpose by how many things you did. Then you culminate into a purpose. And as the Spirit of God leads you, he shows you what you should do. He gives you feelings and desires for certain things more than other things. You get my point? So as you yield to the Spirit and to do your thing, God may have not told you, your purpose is to play a guitar. You just feel it. You are the same as the guy who God spoke to. You are the same. 
So don't put yourself under pressure searching your, for purpose. People have been depressed. Just follow the leading of the Spirit. Come to church. I don't know my purpose, so I'm not going to church. And then there are people who feel special. No, I'm still waiting for the Lord to show me which department to join. <laughs> Just join, join. No one told John the Baptist to begin baptizing. Do something as you wait. Oh, you know what? When he hears that there's a guy baptizing, the right one will come. Chubui. Chubui. <laughs> then he caught one and was like, oh, are you? Don't be idle. While you wait, do something for direction. God is faithful. Hallelujah. So that's what he was simply telling them. These gifts of the Spirit are there for the building of one another. And some people thought, him, he just speaks in tongues as we prophesy. So in this church, there were other people who were thinking we are actually deeper than others. You get my point? That's, that's how true it was. This church also had a lot of immorality because one man got his father's wife, his, step, his, step, his stepmother, and slept with her. Yeah, First Corinthians number 6. You find that kind of language. Chapter number five and number six explains that. In the same church, no wonder. He says, there is a kind of immorality I've heard. Even worldly people don't do it. That's what Paul said. Even people from the world will be shocked. Ha! <laughs> Buddha, you got your, <laughs> your buddies, queen. Forget it. They would be shocked. <laughs> they would tell you that one is wrong. Forget it. Forget it. So all we are saying is there was confusion here. So Paul was trying to bring order. Hallelujah. He was trying to bring order. And then he, tra- he, he tells them all these things. Um, and in 27 of First uh, uh, Corinthians, in, in chapter 27, in, in chapter 12 of 1st Corinthians, he tells them, now you are the body of Christ. Remember? I've been telling you this. Now you, you. So when the Bible says, now has come God and the power of his Christ. It's not just Christ, Jesus, the person. It's a group of people who express the body of Christ. Who are the expression of the end of Satan. Shout, I am one of them. I am one of them. So the Bible goes on to say, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church. And then he begins to mention them. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. After that, miracles. Then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Then he starts asking questions. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healings? No. Do all speak speak with various kinds of tongues? Now, there's a difference between uh, tongues that are used for prayer and various kinds of tongues as a gift. There's tongues that comes as a result of the baptism of the Spirit and you begin having a prayer language in the Spirit. That is praying in tongues. And then there is tongues which come as a result of a gift of the Spirit. That's different. That one not everyone has. But the former everyone can have when they get baptized in the Spirit. Is that clear? Yeah. So he begins asking, can all uh, interpret? And then he says, verse 31, but earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet, I show you a more excellent way. So he's telling them, there's a more excellent way. You're talking about gifts. You're talking about all these things. But he's telling them, even though you desire and you should desire the best gift, he says, I will show you a more excellent way. Not this competition. Not just the gifts of the Spirit. He shows them, I will show you a more excellent way. So there is a more excellent way. Somebody say, a more excellent way. way. We are going somewhere. Are you following me? When we talk about excellence, we are talking about something that surpasses, something that is beyond. They may be in the same category, but then there are those that are beyond. When you write an exercise or a homework when you are in grade 7, obviously your teacher would put checked. There are some people who just receive checked. And then there are those uh, people who would receive good. That means you have not failed, you've done well. But then there's a guy who would receive very good. That means... You have passed just like him, but he's better than you. You have not failed, but he has done better than you. And there's that girl who always used to get excellent. 
Like this excellence I'm seeing among you. That means Shapulamo. He is or she is beyond. And that's what the spirit of excellence does. The spirit of excellence sets you apart from everyone who's doing well. It just doesn't set you apart from people who are mediocre. Look, if you are in a class of 50, you get 36% and you are the highest, you have still failed. That's not excellent. You got 36%, the next one got 2%. You've left him by a far margin. You have still failed. That's not excellent. It's still within the realm of fail. But excellence means, the Bible says, in Daniel was found a spirit of excellence. That's what the Bible says. It says, in, in this, in this, in, but in this Daniel, Kair, in this Daniel, a spirit of excellence was found in him. Even though your son doesn't fit, you will come on, sanctify even if your name was Toxina, you will put, it will become better. Praise God. Stop looking for a sister Toxina, there's none. You see, a spirit of excellence rested on him. Now, let me tell you something about the spirit of excellence. A spirit of excellence is a strange, is a strange spirit. The word spirit is a bit unsettling, but it's not a spirit like a ghost that, ooh, you know, uh, it's, we're talking about an attitude, a personality. Okay, that's what we mean by spirit of excellence. So when people tell you continue with the same spirit, they're not telling you continue manifesting or something. <laughs> they're telling you continue with the same attitude. Amen. Amen. So now the spirit of excellence expresses itself in being extra. So let's imagine, I told you last time, if you wrote a test with Daniel and he's always been beating you, then that day you got 100%. Then you go to just... Talk to him, say hi, find out how he's doing. Then eventually, you know how people come to find out how, which grade you got. Then eventually you ask him, you'll find he got 110%. Just so that he can be 10 times more than you. Because that's what the Bible said. That's the spirit of excellence. This guy will always beat you. Even if you studied like this or you studied like this, he's still going to beat you. Because there's something that operates in him. It's called beat everyone. And that's the thing that's operating in you. You don't have to try. You don't have to want to beat everyone. It's just there. Even you can't help it. Say, I am working under a spirit of excellence. Say, I am excellent. Now, let me tell you, Daniel was in charge of 120 provinces. We have seen ministers fail to manage one, one half a province. Diana, choir from parliament. One province. This guy, and there were populations of those in those days, was in charge of 120 provinces. And then his books of accounts were so accurate that when very smart accountants went to look for a fort, the Bible says they couldn't find anything for 120 provinces. And yet the Bible says Daniel would go to pray three times a day. Meaning his job did not affect his spiritual life. Why? Because a spirit of excellence rested in him. Why are you shaken? Because you don't have a spirit of excellence resting in you. Once school gets a little tough, you surrender church. You are not excellent. With the spirit of excellence, it means that you are able to do all things very well. The Bible says he went to pray three times, just as he had done before. Not even the devil gave him a prayer point. Because the spirit of excellence rested in him. I refuse to be shaken by the enemy. Come on, somebody say that. Say, I refuse to be shaken by the enemy. Because the spirit of excellence is at work in me. Couldn't imagine that kind of busy man. Some people just one relationship, in fact, just a crush. It changes their attitude towards everybody, every other guy. Crash, fake, a crash. So that's how a spirit of excellence expresses itself. A spirit of excellence says, I know it was just a simple meeting, but we are going to write a very good report. A spirit of excellence says, we'll do this consistently. To do the same thing for three years consistently. 
That's the spirit of excellence. It doesn't get tired. It doesn't get shaken. It was not just a fluke. No. A spirit of excellence makes success predictable. I had a friend of mine. His name was Davis. We were in grade nine. He was the bell ringer. Davis was always beating everyone. Sometimes to a little bit about Davis. Because he never used to behave normally. He was a very simple guy. He was the one that used to give to write notes for us. Even in the handwriting, he used to beat the whole class. He would write very well. Then when you're all having inters, he would be studying. He would come to you. Ah, Bantana feka 5%. Nishi wana olachi 60%. Ena kwetena 95%. How can they just stingy me these five marks? I was even close. <laughs> you know, there are those guys. Have you ever met those guys? They are so touched that they got 95%. I remember my company law lecturer said, there was one course which he didn't get an A. That's Ziali. There was one course he, I didn't get an A. I was badly injured. Nishiwa, you are just worshipping God for a sea. <laughs> I will worship him forever. <laughs> then after that one, you are even tempted to sing. See. Somebody say, Woo! That will never be your portion again. Because from today, a spirit of excellence is at rest in you. Look, this is why the Bible says, you shall be the top always, never at the bottom. Deuteronomy 28. It's because a spirit of excellence is resting in you. It's not a question of are you on the list or not. It's where on the list are you. That's the concern of God. So he's saying, you shall be the top always, never at the bottom. He says, you shall be above only, never beneath. You shall be the head, not the tail. Shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's what happens when a spirit of excellence is resting in you. And you see, Paul says this same thing. He says, among all the gifts of the spirit, the gifts of healings, all these are best gifts, deserve for best gifts. But then he shows, he says, although these things are all good and very good, I will show you a more excellent way. So he's about to show us how to operate in excellence. A better way of doing things. Are you listening to me? Are you ready to catch this thing? He introduces it in 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. I've been taking you on a journey. So he introduces it in 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. And this is how he begins. He says, though I speak with tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become sound in brass or a clanging cymbal. What, it, that, what that means is, I am just an echo. I'm not the real thing. I'm just a shadow and not the true thing. It says, you may have all these gifts, but if you don't have the more excellent way, you are just a copy. That's what he's trying to say. He says, he's mentioning, he will mention gifts of the spirit. He says, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and knowledge that people just pass out when I say deep revelation, or even people who are too deep do this because I've said something. He says, if I have not love." In God's eyes, you are shallow. Everyone may be saying, mm. <laughs> but God is just, because there's no love. What are you looking for? What God is looking for, what people are looking for. See, he says, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be bent, that's what he's trying to say. Wow. And though I give my body to be burnt but have not love, it profits me nothing. Then he begins to say this. Love suffers long and is kind. To suffer long. Now, now, and I'm concluding with this. See. He said, 
He begins to describe love. He has not yet given a definition of love because he gives it. But he begins to describe it. He says love suffers long. I will tell you this. There's a difference between chilling, waiting, being patient, enduring, and then the higher dimension is long-suffering. Everybody at some point will have to wait. But the difference between waiting and patience, they say, is the attitude in which you are waiting. That's why the Bible says, let us not be sluggish or give up in our faith, but we must imitate those who through faith and patience have inherited the promise. Faith says, I've received it now. Patience says, it's here. It's just a matter of manifestation. And I'm not even shaken because it has come. And because we're in the realm of time, we may be exposed to the shock of waiting. But patience is the shock absorber. And it's a fruit of the Spirit. Only Christians can have it. Others may pretend like they're being patient. But they are just chilling. <laughs> Love does not envy. That shit, looks, that shit can look good on me. That's envy. Love does not parade itself. You know what? Let me use the NLT. Are we there? Jesus loves me, yes, I know, for the Bible. Even bigger ones to him belong. They are strong, and he is strong. The way the, some Christians sing some wrong songs. We are weak. It's not a song of faith. You love it because it's appealing to your emotions, to your flesh. Oh, and we will get to that stuff. We'll get to that stuff. This is uh, a more excellent way, part one. I haven't even gotten to the dangerous point yet. I'm just laying the foundation. Now, he goes on to say, love is patient, love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. There are some people who even know they are rude. I'd work off a rude It even reaches the place where people accept you. <laughs> ah! Even know a child for us coffee. Go also cut it. Pah! How about we show that if you are away? Chilife win. They've even managed their expectations because they know you are rude. Then there are those people who can just give up anytime. Love does not give up. Okay, let's go on. Hmm? It does not demand its own way. You've ever met those people when they make up their minds to differ? They would have lost a lot by changing their mind. Even in your departments, they are there. For them, when they say this is the way, you have to walk here in it. <laughs> they are unpersuadable. There's a cassette. The Bible says, I will remove your heart of stone and put a heart of flesh. When God was changing, then they left the aside this side. In the left ventricle. So it wasn't softened. <laughs> they are just hard-hearted. Be soft. It's okay to change your mind and say, I think that's a better idea. Amen, children of God. Amen. Mm. It's not irritable. Love is not irritable. He's telling them because this is how they used to behave. There are people who switch. You can be talking to her like this, then she'll just switch. Why? <laughs> Sister Toxina, change. They just switch. They, you can, ah, although if you marry that woman, ooh, you are in trouble. You used to say that the devil is in trouble. Because <laughs> the devil is just looking at you like this. <laughs> A moody woman. Huh? 
Bebe ni chanyo. You don't touch her. Touch not my anointed. You're doing them harm. Hello, this type, they hide in the relationship. <laughs> they are patient. Kairab is patient. No, they are just being wicked. <laughs> anyway, it's not irritable. It does not keep a record of wrong. I'm a record. Millennials don't understand. You are proud of being old. So, you see, there are people who remember the day you hit them and how it felt inability to let go and it's an impotence to love and be loved. There are people who struggle with sterility for love. They can't give love. They can't receive love. Some of them it's because of a bad experience they had. Somebody betrayed them, somebody cheated on them, a boy cheated on them. All men are dogs. Yeah, that's what some people think. So, and eventually, look, by the way, by the way, this is talking about Christians. We are not talking about non-Christians here. Because Paul's writing to the Christians, to the Corinthian church. They were irritable. During the supper they are eating, imagine, you go to ask for a meal. irritable. Anyway, amen. I thought I give you in advance. Can you give your friend who's not working every year? The whole year you just give him, man. You just bless her the whole year. She doesn't have a job yet. You're not irritated. We all just have little money. People get depressed. People get depressed. Please don't play. People get depressed because they feel, please don't play. I'm not irritable. <laughs> Love is patient. Kindly don't play. Reminds me of a certain example I saw for a father. They're about to get into a prayer session. Everybody's delaying. He's supposed to start the opening prayer. Can you all come here? You sit down. Shall we pray? You same one, pray for us. <laughs> for the guy who was slapped because he was asked, do you love Jesus? Everybody's singing. He forgets the lyrics. Can you love Jesus? So then don't push me in those realms. Eh? Okay, so you see, these are the kind of people Paul was talking to. It says, it does not keep a record of wrong. There's a difference between forgiving and forgetting and forgive and forget. I don't believe it's easy to forgive and forget, but I believe in it's possible to forgive, remember, and not be hurt. Sometimes we struggle to forget what people did to us. And that's okay, okay? you have a memory. <laughs> But then if you remember, do you still feel in kakikumtima? <laughs> do you still feel some kind of way when you remember the people who hurt you and how they hurt you? You have not forgiven. But if you remember and it doesn't bother you, then you are forgiven. It's okay to remember, but it shouldn't bother you. Lord, forgive me. I didn't want to remember these things, but... And you people, who, you people who think you forgive by how you feel, you are lying to yourselves. 
Because forgiveness is not an act of your feelings. It's an act of the will. In the realm of the will, there are no emotions. So when you forgive, you don't wait till you start feeling. Some people have been taught by Satan, you haven't forgiven you. You are going to hell. You haven't forgiven. You are trying to forgive, but when you see the person, you feel bad. It's a decision. You can see a person who offended you, feel bad. But in your mind, if you've decided you've forgiven, your feelings will catch up. I just gave you a very powerful revelation, some of you, who may be struggling with unforgiveness. God help you. You forget how the pastor jabbed you. You know, you still forgive him when you see him. He mentioned my case in public. You still forgive him when you see him. Not you laugh because he cracked a joke, but ha, ha, ha. Keeping a record of wrong. The difference between remembering wrong and keeping a record. People miss God because of those things. And that's what the Corinthian church was going through. It does not rejoice about injustice. You know how some people measure their success by the failure of others. You, want, you just can't keep your paper. You want to know what other people did so that you can feel good about yourself. It doesn't work like that. Tell your neighbor, it doesn't work like that. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful. It endures through every circumstance. Now listen to this. Prophecy and speaking and known tongues and special knowledge will become useless. That's what he's saying. There's a place where prophecy can fail. There's a place where knowledge fails. We don't know everything. We don't prophesy everything. In fact, it goes on to say, we see in part and we prophesy in part. So if you measure depth by a gift, what happens when it becomes useless? That's what Paul is saying. Look, there is a more excellent way. Are you listening to me? And it's a way of love. Prophecy and speaking in other languages says, but love will last forever. Now, our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gifts reveals only part of the whole picture. But, that which is when, but when that which is perfect comes, these partial things will become useless. And then the Bible says this in verse chapter 13. In verse 13, rather. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, love. But the greatest, meaning the more excellent one, is love. Clap your hands. I'm just laying a foundation. See, when, when you read the Bible, Paul is constantly praying for those who, he says, when he notices their faith towards God and their love for men, he begins praying for them. So there's something significant about faith and love, but they must be together, although love is the greatest. Because faith towards God can only be complete when it worketh by love. That's what the Bible says. Faith towards God expresses itself best in your love towards men. But when faith of God is expressing itself so that you can be lifted rather than your love for men may be seen, then it's as good as a gonger. That's what he's saying. It's a copy. So faith towards God expresses the power of God because every time you believe in God, the supernatural power of God begins to be seen in your life. You begin seeing testimonies. You begin seeing power. You begin seeing dreams. So that's faith towards God. But what happens when you have faith towards God for it to be expressed to other people? It has to be with the spirit of love. Because even if you have faith that moves in mountain, which you did express in God, but it is not done in the spirit of love towards men. It's useless. It may have been well from God. Your gifts may have been well from God. But if they are not invested in the most excellent way, they become mediocre and useless. Are you listening to me? And this is very important. 
And the reason why love is the most excellent way is the Bible, because the Bible says God is love. And there couldn't be anything else more excellent than God. Because God is love. And he's the ultimate definition of love. God. So next time, next time a guy comes to you and says, I love you, ask him, can you put God there? They should simply say, I'm coming to you in the name of God. So a person who says they love you, and they don't really mean it. Ah, they should be some of the biggest blasphemers. Because in their ignorance, kai them it's blasphemy plus ignorance. Kai them they are coming in the name of God, but they don't really mean it. Oh, hypocrites. So next time a guy tells you, Kalumba, I love you, say, God, if they don't catch the revelation, they are not the one. <laughs> Hallelujah. Let us stand to our feet. Lift your hands and begin staring your love for God and tell him I'm walking in the most excellent way. I'm filled with the love of God. Listen. Wait, before you start playing. We have looked at what we are calling the most excellent way, right? I've just given you a foundation and a dimension of it. When you come in the faith, you will start experiencing things in dimensions and in levels. There's a difference between a dimension and a level. Think of it like this. A dimension is like a row or a column. Imagine many columns or many rows of one thing. Okay? So let's imagine. All these are dimensions, right? But levels are like ladders. So you can have one dimension, and in that dimension, you are at this level. You can also experience another dimension, but in that dimension on this level. So there are different, for example, dimensions of the anointing. There is an, an anointing for, let's say, healing. It's a dimension of the anointing. But even in that dimension, there are ladders. You keep growing in it. There are anointings, let's say, for preaching and teaching the gospel. But even in that anointing, in that dimension, you are at a certain level. Even in the Christian faith, it is the same thing. There are certain dimensions we get to. And many of us have only stepped at the beginning because we've never learned the fact that there is a more excellent or a better, a better level to get to in that dimension. And this is what I'm telling you. When we are done, you realize there are more excellent levels in dimensions that God wants us to begin working on. And the difference between walking in the next level glory, in that dimension, is this knowledge you are receiving. Hallelujah. Oh, raise your hand. Pray in other tongues. Worship him. I will worship him forever. Love him. Yeah. Forever because this God is too good. Everybody praying in other tongues. I will worship him forever. Love him forever. Because this God is too good. Oh, this God is too good. Everybody speaking in other tongues except the priesthood. Begin to thank him for the message. This, this God, God is too good.